Cradleine Network. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Eli, and this is the podcast where two Americans patrol their way through the Judge Dredd magazine. This episode, we're covering the Judge Dredd magazine, or Judge Dredd the magazine, I guess I should say, volume one, issue 20, cover date May 1992. And this episode, we've at last reached the end of volume one of the magazine, and that means it's time to clear the decks ahead of a whole new publication. So we got the dramatic finales of Middenface McNulty, Britsit Babes, and Straightjacket Fits. All right. And if you were to read along with us, you find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files 16 and The Judge Dredd Magazine, Issue 299. How you doing, Eli? I'm doing great. Nice. Yeah, we're sort of at the end of an era here. Short era, though it may be, I guess. You're right. <laughs> you know, I know it doesn't mean, mean, mean much to you, I guess, but we're right at the end of um, – like this volume one and after this one, the number is going to restart with volume two. So we'll be back to number one and then we'll be in volume two for like 90 issues, I want to say, for a bunch of issues. So Yeah. I think it's mostly just confusing me numerically. So yeah, you count I, up to a number, then go back to one and then go back. Then you go up to 90. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a prestige kind of thing or whatever. Like a I video see. game. Although I think okay. – once we get started in the new edition, we'll probably just use those numbers as opposed to, I don't know. I don't know if I feel a huge need to count the total number of magazines. Maybe if we hit, when we hit big milestones or something, we'll do it. So what, it would be magazine two, episode, you know, one yeah. through 90? So, yes. Okay. So, so if I yeah. want to talk about any of the previous ones, I'd say episode one. Uh, volume I mean, one. I mean, yeah, volume, volume one, one okay. issues one through nine, and then volume two, issues one through whatever, or yeah, issues two okay. through whatever, then volume three, then volume four, but then right. <laughs> when they get to volume five, mm. then they just start counting up from the first one, so then it's the total number, just, okay. to, just to keep you nicely confused, pretty much. Right. I like how nerds organize things in this way, so that oh, way, yes. when you're talking another fan- and some onlooker hears it, they think you're both out of your mind. Yeah, yeah. It's very important uh, to, have, to have gatekeeping and special terminologies <laughs> to keep outsiders away, Eli. How are you going to get people right. to buy the comic <laughs> if you just can just welcome them in and it's simple to understand? You know, come on. Right. Nah, it makes sense. But seriously, that's what, uh, that's what 2000 AD is, you know. I mean, that's got consistent numbering so that it's now, as we're recording this, in like the low 2200s, you know, just to kind of – so that now it's consistent numbering, but that no amount of numbers is daunting. So it's got a double-edged sword, you know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Hey, and speaking of double-edged <laughs> blades that a ninja might use Helpful. perhaps – <laughs> Let's go to story one. I was a teenage mutant ninja priest killer. Uh, script robot Alan Grant, art robot Sam Keith, lettering robot Tom Frame. Or very original name. Yeah, you know, listen, it's 1992, so you got a little bit of this, you know. Um, <laughs> it's the only appearance by uh, by Sam Keith, or I, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. Um, 
in the Meg or the Prague, but he is an American artist. At this point, he would probably be best known for working on um, Neil Gaiman's uh, Sandman comic. He did the first couple episodes of that, oh. as well as some other comics covers and stuff. But in about about a year from now, in 1993, he'll become best known for um, the indie comic The Max, which then became a uh, – a, a, it, it got adapted into a cartoon show on uh, MTV back in the day. And that's really where, where I know his his work from. Uh, maybe not by name. But I definitely like watched that show a lot, and was really had a an important like uh, important effect on the mind of young Conrad. Basically, <laughs> that's very interesting. Yeah, I'm very familiar with um the Sandman. Uh, and after you said it, I was like, yeah, this coloring and shading and things. Yeah, he did and uh, negative space and whites. Uh, preludes and nocturnes, I believe. So that's sort of that first um section. Nice. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, like you know, I like that the, all these guys sort of work together. Uh, this art, uh, he also did. Um, he also did um, a couple um, or a, a bunch, actually, of um, American covers for the 2000 AD character uh, Nemesis, the Warlock, as well, which looked pretty cool. Um, nice. Anyway, we're in a confession booth where a priest is doing some things, is, is doing his thing. The uh, parishioner he's talking to, it's been 20 minutes since his last confession because you see he's a weird green mutant who kills priests. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> the church bells. Bad luck for this priest. Definitely. Yeah. The church bells are ringing as Judge Dredd arrives on the case. He meets a few monks at the door and we see above that the bells ringer has been replaced by the head of Father O'Flynn. Oh, no. Gruesome. Elsewhere, Father Riley has been crucified and is being taunted by the mutant who asks him if he remembers a boy named Mussolini. As Dredd and the other judges clean up the corpses, they talk about what's going on. Four dead priests in an hour, all in different churches. How could it be done? And that's when Dredd finds a trap door in the, in, in the ground um, of, of, of the church he's in. You're a fool if you're there. Um, the mutant, meanwhile, in the other church, tells his story to Father Riley. Fifteen years ago, a baby was baptized in the name of Grud, Jovis, and the Holy Spook. But during the baptism, the priest, uh, the priest, Father Riley, dropped him into the holy water font, and he got flushed down into the sewer. Put a grate on that thing, dude. Come on. Um, meanwhile, right. yeah, I mean, that just seems like safety, you know? Come on. You don't want to just have an yeah. open, a baby-sized hole leading right to the sewer. <laughs> if just Bud because cuts probably yeah. are preventing him. But I mean, you know, at the very least, you don't want to have it just because rats will like come up the other side of it. You know, I'm just saying. Uh, that's true. <laughs> so Dred's headed underground, big stairway following some mutant footprints. Um, as we learned that the baby Mussolini didn't die. Instead, he went through all the pipes until a friendly giant rat found him. <laughs> Meanwhile, underground, Dred sees that rat and shoots it. But finds out that it's a woman. It's a human woman inside a rat suit. Oh no! Anyway, anyway, <laughs> the giant rat apparently trained this baby in the martial arts and all that. We're all aware of this story. 
even as the pollutants in the sewer warped him into a strange turtle-esque creature, and now he's out for revenge. But Father Riley, crucified, says, hey man, that's not, I never dropped a kid, I'm a professional. But Mussolini says he's a liar, prepares to smoosh his face when Dredd arrives and shoots him in the back. And he explains, you were never flushed. This was all a ploy by your crazy mother. <laughs> Mutant doesn't believe Dredd, throws a shuriken at him, and just kind of hits Dredd. He doesn't care. Instead, he shoots some high X rounds at the mutant, exploding him as his somehow still alive head lands in the baptismal font. The mom, still in the rat suit, explains that the mutant's name is actually Kevin Eastman, who is, of course, one of the Eastman and Laird, one of the two creators of the Ninja Turtles in the first place. And she says she had to move to the sewers after she got divorced from his father because she couldn't pay her debts. And wearing the rat suit was the only thing that kept away the real rats in those mega sewers. She told him the lie to, like, explain what was going on or something like that. Yeah, very confusing. Weird motives for this. Absolutely. I mean, even even Kevin the Mutant agrees and asks why then she'd lie about priests because that drove him to kill like four people. But before she can explain, right. eh, she dies. <laughs> Dread calls a med st- a, a med unit because they've got a tank full of turtle soup. But why did she let him? You know, tell him to kill all those priests, Judge Dread. I don't know. Cowabunga. <laughs> I think you added that cowabunga part. I did not. I did not. It's written on the bottom of the page there. Oh, you're right. It was beats me. I didn't actually read the cowabunga. Yeah, Dredd says- They put that in really small font. They were just like- Dredd says beats me, and then the bottom text says cowabunga. Thank you very much. I, I, I will say, Eli- that something I don't like, we're using these scan copies, and sometimes we got very specific people doing these scan copies. And this one is a little weird because while I think that Cowabunga was there, there are some chatty elements from the scanner in this scan that I don't really like very much. Mm. Just like, listen, like, just keep it to yourself, buddy. Um, right. <laughs> And speaking of keeping side comments to yourself, because otherwise you get hit in the head by a ladle by a Scottish grandma, let's talk about story two, Middenface McNulty. Script robot Alan Grant and Tony Luke. Art robot John McRae. Coloring robot Trevor Carter. Letter robot John McRae. Double paychecks. All right. So, (laughs) Tusker, who's one of the members of this Scottish Clutie gang that's been trying to fix their broken time machine while being on the run from Middenface McNulty after stealing his strontium dog stuff, has traveled back to dinosaur times. And in one of those weird Back to the Future moments, he's ironically right at the start of this story when Middenface's grandma sent him back to dinosaur times and he almost got eaten by a (laughs) T-Rex. Just, uh, you know, one of these time travel things you got to do, I guess. Tusker right. sees- Was he there the first time? Yeah, he definitely was, but he escaped just in time. Oh, was Tusker there? It's a good question. I admit, I didn't <laughs> go back to see if you could see him in the background or something, but I don't think he was. That would be so cool. All right, all right. Got to plan ahead for this stuff, you know? <laughs> right. Um, Tusker s- sees Middenface warp away before he can get eaten by a T-Rex, and then the mighty beast sees Tusker. The gag member shoots the t- the Tyrannosaur a few times, but it's no good, and he gets chomped. 
his hand sticking out of the monster's jaws, hit the button on a time machine as he goes, and both of them warp away. <laughs> Meanwhile, in 2114, Middenface McNulty and his temporary partner, Max Normal, are trying to take down the Clutie gang, uh, and Middenface, or sorry, they're currently disguised as muscle for mob boss Mr. Muzzle at a fancy gala party. And I should mention that Middenface himself is dressed up like, um, like his buddy Max Normal here, you know, he's got a got a hat and a waistcoat and things like that to sort of keep it all under wraps. I get a lot of vibes from um, Breaking Bad. Get some, uh, if you ever seen that show? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You got that. Just... Got that like a fedora, like a Heisenberg fedora or whatever. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I see it. I feel like it's got that look for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm 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 literally checking to see if that Tusker guy was in the background as Midface McNulty's story. I must know now. <laughs> no, they seem to be. Fr- I'm betting it isn't because they seem to be playing a little fast and loose with time travel. It seems yes. to mostly be. He he is not. The gang members threaten local mob bosses as well as well dressed. Um, at, or sorry, they threaten local mob bosses as the well dressed hunters make their way to the kitchen and release their secret weapon. Mitten faces grandma's dog Bob or Bob the Doug. <laughs> but when they take him out there, Bob releases his own secret weapon: a giant mutant <laughs> dog fart. Oh no. <laughs> Surprise is lost, so it's time to get stuck in. Middenface grabs a dessert cart as Bob goes after the Cluties, destroying their hollow disguises, revealing them as mutants, which causes a general panic. The judges that were waiting outside move in as Middenface rides at the Clutie on the ca- on a cart and then starts swinging from a chandelier using his Max Normal borrowed umbrella. He shoots one of the gang members, the uh, the sort of the the fat guy gang member, but then the chandelier breaks and he's in trouble because now they got the drop on him. Luckily, the judges come rolling in at the same time, and while two judges get killed, it's still looking bad for the Cluties. They waste muzzle just for fun, and then the T warp warp the T Rex warps in along with Tusker's disembodied head. <laughs> To be continued later this episode. Ooh. You're right. This episode 20 has got a double dose of Midden Face McNulty. Very exciting. Mm. And speaking of things that are exciting, or perhaps things that are finishing up at last, Eli, let's <laughs> talk about story three, The Straight Jacket Fits. Script robot David Bishop, art, art and lettering robot Roger Langridge. All right. So, Eli, in the Brits at Psycho Cubes, the head robo-doc is headed down to the war to see what's going on. He arrives to find another big, you know, the standard sort of walking into the mental patient, in, into the mental ward um, scene of chaos as the patients are all talking to each other and stuff like that. In this case, joined by the Brotherhood of Gaga and things like that. Nurse Honey gets called out and she provides a full recap of the story so far. Getting increasingly annoyed, it seems, as it goes on and on and on. Um, <laughs> when suddenly, from the hole in reality, psychiatrist Dr. Drongo Stabbins himself comes crawling back. He not only hasn't caught Jack, he's shrunk Adolf the Tall Dwarf down to miniature size. 
In a flashback, Drongo explains that Jack Nicholson was already gone when they broke into his dressing room. And in frustration, Drongo threw down his shrinkomatic ray gun, which went off and hit Adolf. Drunk Drongo isn't sure what to do when the Robodoc lays the truth on him. He's not a psychiatrist. He hasn't been seeing patients. He's just a mental patient himself. And they've been Shutter Islanding himself or Shutter Islanding him, like, like playing into his delusions. Sorry, spoilers for that movie. But, um, they've been playing into his delusions <laughs> in an attempt to save him because he thinks he's a psychiatrist and he isn't. But um, now they realize that's failed. And there's some really c- c- kind of fun mind-bending moments here as we sort of jump between the usual kind of smooth, light art style and then a very dark, realistic art style as well between sort of dr- what, see- what appears to be Drongo's um, delusions and the bitter reality, basically. Like Nurse Cutie becomes a right. robot oh, as well, things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool look as well. It's a good use of the panels in comics, I think, just doing this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Stabbins is then dragged, in, dragged into a padded room, protesting he's a great psychiatrist. But in a final twist, the head RoboDoc takes off his head, and it's actually that Jack Nicholson guy! The lunatics have taken over the asylum as Drongo sits in a disturbingly yellow puddle and says, If the straitjacket fits! The end of straitjacket fits! <laughs> wow. Uh, got us for one uh, final punchline. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, was it worth it? We'll, we'll talk about that later, I guess. I guess so. I mean, I'll say, like, I feel like I, I, I theorized that Drongo was actually a patient being, you know, humored or something early on in our right. in our run. And it kind of t- took right. that someone would assume that and then sort of flipped it on its head, which I do appreciate. Um, And I should say also that this isn't quite the end of Straight Jacket Fits entirely. There is an an epilogue very heavily in the style of um, Batman Arkham Asylum in this year's Judge Dredd yearbook. But it's just it's more it's more there to make fun of Arkham Asylum than it is to actually provide an end or closure to um, Straight Jacket Fits for the record. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Which is okay because, you know, Grant Morrison is like – Wrote that is also a big uh, friend of all these guys, so it's just sort of some good-natured ribbing here, I think. Um, and speaking of good-natured ribbing, let's take a quick break from stories and get <laughs> to covers, editorials, and dreadlines. Issue 20, just one this time, Jings! A tartan, midden-faced McNulty cover by Sean Phillips. It makes sense, of course, because we're in a double dose of midden-faced this episode, part two coming in a couple minutes. Um, on the inside cover, there's a full-page ad for the uh, UK release of Fist of the North Star by Manga Video. One of these early animes Classic. to come from Japan to the West. Yeah, definitely. It's one of these, like, like it's sort of, it's <laughs> it's funny because it specifically says, like, well, like, you guys bought, bought Akita, so whatever. Here's Fist of <laughs> the North Star. Come on. Right. We'll drop you, right. we'll, we'll drop our hits from 10 years ago on you guys. That seems to be about your speed. <laughs> right. Uh, although I do say very different. Fifth and North Star was definitely just power fantasy at its finest. Just uh, like Akira was. Anyway, we're yeah. talking about Judge Dread. But I'm, not, we'll, I'm not saying podcast. they're. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying they're the same. I'm just saying that that both. I could see both appealing to a, right. a teenager circa 1992. That's all. <laughs> right. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> all right. So then. Um, 
The editorial and table of contents is mostly just plugging the new volume coming up. It was of a free badge as a gift on the cover and also the winners of the original art contest. We've had the last couple episodes. The legal text starts by saying fortnightly, here we come, and ends with don't miss the fortnightly creeps. They're really plugging it hard, you know, this this, uh, once every two weeks magazine. Mid-issue, there's also an ad for 2000 AD Prog 780, which is a big jumping on issue, along with an ad for the upcoming Red Dwarf magazine, or magazine, I should say. I'm so Now I'm so used to saying magazine yeah. that it's all I can say, Eli. <laughs> um, yeah. Red Dwarf magazine, not for smegheads. I love Red Dwarf. It's really funny. It's this, Brit- it's this British sci-fi sitcom. Uh, hi- highly recommended, oh. for sure. Okay. Um, later, there's a Dreadlines ep- episode, um, like letters from readers and stuff. This one calls out a reference I missed to that Eternal guy being called Adam Eterno, which is a reference to Adam Eterno, just as Eterno as one last name, a Brit comic character who I guess will be appearing in the 2000 AD action special this year, which we'll be covering in a couple weeks, sort of, um, at towards the end or yeah, towards the, the second third of the, of the, the, uh, the, the final third of, uh, of, of 19, of our 1992 coverage. Um, there's a lot of, of a compliments for the Meg and excitement for the fortnightly and upcoming series, though there is one specific piece of hate mail for straitjacket fits. And I say that's good-natured ribbing <laughs> because Dave Bishop, who writes Straight Jacket Fits, is also the editor of the magazine. So I feel like this might be him, like, sort yeah. of taking some lumps for publishing his own stuff, maybe, or something along those lines. That's funny. I don't know. I choose to believe it's good-natured. <laughs> that's all I'm trying to say, Eli. Um, right. That looks on the good side. Yeah. But speaking of people working together in slightly less harmonious situations, Eli <laughs> – Ah, on the topic of just making a right mess of it, let's go to Story 4, Britsit Babes. Script robot John Wagner, art robot Steve Sampson, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. So, undercover Britsit Judge Pete has tracked the location of fellow undercover Britsit Judge um, Shay with, um, to a warehouse with the help of Rasta Biker uh, Jaja. And all it cost him was his sweet hover bike. Oh, man. You're going to want that hover bike, buddy. Um, right. As we'll see later, I guess. Um, he prepares to go in and take these human slavers alone, shrugging off offers of reinforcement, which, again, you're in retrospect, you're also going to want to have wanted. But anyway, um, yeah, this will prove to be a mistake. Inside the warehouse, Iceman explains his business plan to undercover Judge Shea, reveals that he's also going to freeze her and sell her into slavery because she's got mind powers as well. We kind of theorized about this in a previous episode. Um Shay tries right. to pyrokinesis Iceman's uh, 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 arm with a gun, but gets instead gets hit in the hit in the back by one of his lady goons, Electro Nux, instead. 
They prepare to drug and freeze her when Pete comes crashing through the window with his hover bike. Pretty cool action scene here. He shoots Iceman <laughs> and Iceman's lady goons and Shay by accident, but then gets shot by Iceman, causing his borrowed hover bike to explode and go careening into the Cairo caskets with the other kidnapped women. Ah, oh, jeez, guys. This is a shambles. Right. right. Really <laughs> Botch that one. Yeah. Iceman <laughs> empties his guns magazine into Pete as Shay tussles with the surviving lady goon, seemingly forming a neat, uh, forcing a needle of knockout gun, uh, of knockout drugs into Ooh. the goon's like forehead or eye, maybe? I think it's going, they're going for eye on that. But yeah, yes. She's dead and there's a hypodermic needle sticking out of her face. That's the important part <laughs> for sure. Iceman prepares to kill Shay, but instead she uses her mental power to just set him on fire in toto, just full body flames, and then escapes the warehouse before it explodes, naturally making sure to not look at the explosion herself. Though right. she is kind of doing kind of a, kind of a, da- a dash move, so it's not a full like right. just walk out of the um, right. just walk out of the apartment here. Right. Well, I do agree. The distance she is away from it. She doesn't need to be in a dash move for that. I mean, she's several yards, you know, whatever. This feels like <laughs> another, like, you know, uh, uh, Samson had a bunch of poses with this one model and he's using every bit, every right. part of the buffalo here, basically. <laughs> right. Um, I do like the pose. So it's I'll good. give him credit. Yeah, definitely. So, listen, the case, bloody shambles. Everybody's dead, including Casey and Pete. But in the br- debrief... <laughs> The judge in charge, like the officer guy in the uniform, says, ah, it could have been worse. They're rolling up receivers of slaves in Hondo City, and they've closed a big part of this operation locally. It's a hard work out there, but in the end, your friends were just kind of acceptable losses in our war on crime. <laughs> Shade isn't caught into that idea, though, and as she is a cop on the edge, as so many undercover cops are, Eli, she turns in her right. badge and quits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she walks off into the Brits at night where a billboard says, thank you, world. And we get a final image of that uh, ju- uh, officer judge just looking down, looking sad. The end of Brits at Babes. <laughs> I didn't feel like his sadness feels out of place because so many people died. And he's like, eh, what are you going to do? Well, I quit. Oh, no. Like, that's the, that's the line. Not like, well, yeah, you know, two deaths and you're back. I'm fine. Two deaths and you quit. Ah, devastated. If yeah. I had to guess, I'd say it's that um, he himself was trying to write off um, his um, impl- or or his uh, chart like su- his subordinates' deaths as acceptable losses, and Shay not accepting nice. that forced him to reevaluate oh. his life choices or something. He's got to go home <laughs> and think about his life, you know. Right. Call his mom, right? F- yeah. Just figure it out. Yeah, classic death stick scenario. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is the last. This is the only Britsit babes. Um, mm-hmm. But Steve Sampson will be back um, in a while. Actually, he'll be back. I think the next time we'll see him is in 1994, doing some more an- doing some work with Judge Anderson and stuff like that. So that'd be interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. He's got an interesting yeah. style like this. Like again. 
I feel like we caught we, we we figured out early on that it seemed like it's sort of embellishing from like high fashion pictures, which I think is a very interesting way to do things, even if it does sort of like for people looking really cool and really interesting still images, you also end up with a lot of weird folks, you know, again, constantly giving right. Bruce steel, like, and <laughs> the things that aren't copied from fashion uh, photography sort of looking a lot, a lot ropier than other parts right. of the comic, you know. Abstract and, co- and colorful, yeah. Yeah, just a little, yeah, like, you know, I feel like especially just like the hover bikes and things like that really, um right. Really made a bit, really sort of hurt this st- style just because right. it's not a lot of stand out a lot. Yeah, it just makes them stand out. They're they're just real visible in this case. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of no attempts to be fashionable and just get real loose and weird all the time, Eli. Mm. Story five, Midden Face McNulty Part Two. <laughs> I mean, I like John McRae's art. I think he's a really great artist, but this style. Like the way he's drawing Midden Face here is really different than anything else in the magazine as well. I think. <laughs> right, right. Like just got it. It's got a very <laughs> like thick lines, black, uh, uh, solid colors kind of look to it. I think. Right, but I, I mean, I also couldn't imagine Midden Face without those lumps illustrated that way. Like they gotta. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it is funny <laughs> how different people draw them. I mean, even if you look on the cover of issue twenty. Where um where it's where it's by right. Sean Phillips instead of John instead of uh uh, uh John McRae you've got these different looking like he's kind of got like four right. or five of them he doesn't even really have a ton of lumps you know right, right. like the the traditional bitten fakes McNulty by Carlos Escara his head kind of looks like I want to say it doesn't actually but I want to say it looks like an artichoke almost or something just in mm. terms of just having a or like I don't know. It's just got a really weird look with the lumps coming out of right. there. It's no good. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> anyway, there's a T-Rex loose in the city and Midden faces out of ammo. Oh, no. The Cluties go no, to run, no. but the short one gets hit by a, rico- a ricocheting dessert cart that went flying off the T-Rex. And the other two members, the goat demon dude and the four-armed lady. And, like, if I have one regret about this comic, it's that I either didn't notice or they didn't really spend a lot of time just spending like differentiating who these different Cludy gang members are and what their names are and stuff like that. So I'm just sort of describing mm-hmm. them here, I guess. But right. so they leave this. So the uh, the demon dude and the four armed lady ditch this goblin dude with muzzle dead. Max normal takes his leave. Like all right, I've I've done what I've need, needed to do. So you know, peace out. <laughs> um and. They part as friends. They even like shake hands and stuff as Middenface goes to show down with this goblin Clutie. And all he's able to do, the goblin dude with a sweet knife, he sort of attacks Middenface, but all he really does is just cut off Middenface's fancy clothes from him. And then Middenface shoots him with his reloaded gun and just sort of blasts him into a thousand pieces. It's pretty solid. <laughs> <laughs> The remaining Cluties drive off in Muzzle's limo as Middenface, who comes after them and snags a nearby judge bike. Now it's time for a, high, a highway shooting I really like. Um, the four-armed lady just leaning out of the side of the car with all her guns blazing. Love a multi-armed character using all their arms. That's always really fun. Right. <laughs> um, but... 
As Middenface dodges their fire, he checks around the uh, control panel of the Lawmaster and finds the button that activates the bike cannons. <laughs> the limo gets shot. It's trashed and goes like crashing into an embankment. And as um, as they as they do, Middenface looking for the brakes instead hits the turbo boost button. Yes. Sending the bike careening off the side of the highway, he overpasses on right into the face of the T Rex, which kills it as well. So we got to just sort of solving a lot of problems at once here. It's pretty solid. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bob arrives at the crash. There's still one Clutie gang member left, but Bob just uh, bites bites his head off essentially. <laughs> And now the Cluties have been defeated. Middenface is able to recover all the Strontium Dog stuff that they stole, including his grandma's birthday present. Oh, yes. <laughs> With all that done, Middenface hits, hits the time button, heads home. All's well that ends well. He's just got to give his, his grandma the gift, which is a nice box of Muty Tray Hard Candy. This is like in England, there's a box, there's, there's a candy box that, that people give as gifts. It's called Milk Tray. That's sort of a, a mm. play here. But anyway, his granny can't eat Muty Tray because she got her false teeth in it. She can't eat hard candy anymore. It's the ladle to the head and cries a Egypt for old midden face. The end. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, classic. Exciting bounty hunter adventures. Right. Oddly satisfying ending for Mittenface. I mean, I thought it was fun. You know, I like that it was just winding up that he had to get this one gift, you know, and it turns out to be something you buy from the right. store for sure. Right. Yeah, so that's the end of this story. Mittenface, of course, will have adventures in 2018. Eventually, we'll, we'll return to the magazine, but not until the year 2000. So don't hold your breath. You know, we're sort of moving around. And I think that's fine, honestly. Like, Middenface is very much a Strontium Dog character. And Strontium Dog is a better placed in 2000 AD, if you ask me, as opposed to in um, the magazine, which should be more for specific Judge Dredd and things uh, on Judge Dredd's timeline for the most part, as much as possible. Yeah, you know, that's, that, that, that's my opinion, though it's not always the case. Um, anyway, though, Eli, anyway, <laughs> with that, we finish the story for this, the final issue of volume one of the Judge Dredd magazine. Oh, man. Wow. It's been a journey. It's been a journey indeed. And thus, I have one question for you, which is what were your top and bottom Ooh. stories for this one? All right. Well, top is easy. I really like Midden Face. Nice. <laughs> I felt like a... I think I personally like them introducing a T-Rex and then immediately hitting it in the face with a, a bike and then killing it. Mm -hmm. It was a very short-term uh, problem in retrospect, yeah. Right, right. But I like the nature of just accidentally bringing a T-Rex because mm -hmm. time travel stuff. Definitely. And then uh, just there's a T-Rex here now. Let's work around it. All right, we don't need this T-Rex anymore. We don't want to have to explain this T-Rex away. Just hit in the face with a, yeah, we're done. All right, and then... Let's not address it. Let's not talk about it. And even the ending of Mittenface just getting the wrong candy and getting hit with it. You hit with <laughs> the, the, the ladle. Just feels so fitting for Mittenface. Um, so, yeah. So, that's an nice. easy top. Um, bottom, I think I'd have to go with Brit Sit Babes, oddly enough. Okay. And that's not just like giving Straight Jacket Fits a pass. Because I actually like how Straight Jacket kind of ended. Mm -hmm. I like that they just get the double fake out. Like, yeah, just, 
Yeah. He might be out of his mind. No, he he is. Oh, no, he's not. And then, like, um, and uh, just they gave me enough content in that last one that I felt satisfied, at least. Um, mm-hmm. But Brits, it just, it might have just been the accumulation of that last chapter. But, I mean, the last, um, you know, just the ones in this book. But mm-hmm. it felt like the story was things are going bad. Some guy's like, F, reason, I'm going in there, going to save the day. And then he kind of jumps in there, makes things worse. And then in the aftermath, it's like, okay, I guess we're fine. There's, I'm alive, the protagonist is alive, turning the report, I'm out of here. Like, it felt in, like... In retrospect, I feel like it, it is a really uh, good a, a, a example of why you should wait for backup. You know, they weren't going anywhere. <laughs> there was no, there was no right. reason to rush in, really. Like... Right. Yeah, that, that's the lesson. Yeah. Uh, like, don't be a cop <laughs> on the edge. You know, come on. Right. This guy was out right. here swanning about doing his thing. He just messed up all the time. And in the end, right. you know, as I always say, Eli, when we make mistakes, people die. And that's what happened, you know? <laughs> right. And I think it's also that the main um, judge, I didn't feel solved things. Mm, she, yeah. was, I, she was at the pinball machine. She found the dude, slept with the dude, got the dude's plan, but played right into his hand. Like she, he yeah. was like, "Yeah, firepowers, whatever, taser," and she was done with. Like I felt like she didn't do anything clever. Yeah, uh, I, I I mostly agree. She's pretty passive throughout the whole mm-hmm. story. Um, right, and so it, then it even at like, the end when she's like, <laughs> "I'll go ahead." Well, it, it, yeah, it was like the entire story was just her putting herself in danger to be rescued, basically, as opposed to right. really being able to handle herself just because she seemed oblivious to the danger she was in and then like sort of got taken out the second it came down to a fight, basically. Right, right. And then uh, at the end, I didn't feel good that she just quit, except that like, yeah, I guess she probably wasn't qualified. Like. <laughs> Uh, based on how big of a mess this was, yeah, this probably isn't the job for you. You know, maybe getting more it'd be like different campfires. If, yeah, it'd be different <laughs> if, like, there. I guess maybe if there was a sequel to this, and then she, mm-hmm. like, you know, had and then this uh, Shay had further adventures or something like that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Like, like, learn from her mistakes. Like, okay, yeah. maybe I'll. Yeah, not hit like, the pinball so hard. Like, like I had a bad job. Like I was on a, I was on a mission that went bad, and so I quit. But mm-hmm. now they're, you know, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's a standard. Honestly, this becomes a standard cop story, of like now mm-hmm. there's a criminal, and only I can do what. Only I can infiltrate right. his organization or something like that. And so, you know, this time they go in, and she's got like demands or whatever, and then things happen, mm-hmm. and she's sort of, you know. Yeah. realizes why this is a is an important job and then becomes a standard procedural drama or something yeah uh, I, I, I i've watched a lot of cop that, shows that's what i'm trying to say yeah yes i also felt bad that the um main girl who got captured i thought they were she's gonna be saved i thought that was kind of the point yeah and no, she gets CJ blown up in the just got crash blown, and then the- load up real good and just kind of got frozen <laughs> right. and that was all she wrote it's bad times right <laughs> i think but, uh, yeah yeah what were yours? Oh, man. I think – actually, I might just go with go full solidarity with you, Eli. Like I didn't think Brits and Babes was that great. 
And I did really <laughs> like Mid and Face McNulty. Plus, it was the biggest story <laughs> in here. And I just liked all of this, like, very madcap, ultra-violent um, action, you know. I love when T-Rexes <laughs> get involved. I'm a huge fan of, of dinosaurs. And dinosaurs just showing up. <laughs> In random things, like where you wouldn't ex- – right. I like a dinosaur that shows up where you wouldn't expect a dinosaur, especially right. yeah, if like- it's like a building-sized one, you know? Right. Those are the best. Yeah. So, <laughs> I was very excited to see to see that and to see it just taken out by the turbo bike, turbo boosting bike, <laughs> and then good amount of, of, uh, of uh, shootouts, little bit, a bit of a, of a max normal, which I also appreciate. And then I think I like the end, how it's funny and the grandma gets angry at him and stuff like that. That's just fun stuff. Right. right. I did notice Mittenface didn't really mind the T-Rex. He was just like, T-Rex showed up. He's like, ah, oh, all right, I better stay on this, uh, stay yeah. on these guys. I can't let all, a T-Rex distract me. Yeah, all in a day's work. That's not, you know, in the end, like... He's just here for the Cluties. You know, he doesn't have to live here. Yeah. He's going back to his right. own time, you know? <laughs> Let the judges handle right. that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Cool. Okay. Here we go. Roll on volume two. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at BigMegOne.com. Feel free to contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. For all of those, just look up Big Meg One, letter one, O-N-E, spelled out, and you'll find us. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Zane Kip Miller, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash cradline. That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and get a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with uh, Fox from Space Spinner and myself. Then come back next time. Next week, as we'll be taking a quick break from the magazine itself to look at the 1992 Judge Dredd Mega Special. It's a fun one. It's got some long stories by new artists, a full um, recap of Volume 1 of the magazine, which we won't be getting into. Just re-listen to these episodes. And also uh, zero reprints, which I think is a very cool thing for a special to have. Then, Eli, oh man, we'll be back in a fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> for the debut of the Judge Dread Magazine Volume 2. Dredd's heading off to Texas. The Soul Sisters are fighting crime. Devlin Waugh is, is swimming in blood. And the bad man's here to get things started. And until then, I'm Conrad. There you lie. And we are Big Bad One. Drunkers.